The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Well, good day. Welcome to Church Online. Uh, my name is Kylam. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're new, thanks for joining us. If you're a regular, hey guys, we are, we are missing you. And I just want to say a huge thank you for your graciousness and your patience as we have sought to kind of shift things a little bit. And just a reminder, next week we are going to be all back in person. Uh, so we'd love for you to be there. We're going to be having Vision Sunday. We're going to be looking at what God has done in the past uh, year, two years, and where we are going in the future together. So we'd love for you to come to that, be there, be present. Uh, let's worship God together. Um, and again, just thank you for your patience and your graciousness uh, as we've sought to love and serve the church family uh, well during this time. Uh, how are you at waiting? Uh, I, I am not a good waiter. I am not someone who uh, has often in my life had the virtue of patience being ascribed to me. Um, I'm not a great person of, of waiting. Uh, and there, there are different types of waiting, right? There, there's the waiting uh, as a child, as you're waiting for dinner. Um, there's the waiting for your parents to pick you up from school. Uh, as, a, as a student uh, in uni, there, there's the waiting of getting your results back and, and finding out you know, y- your scores and whether, whether you've got a, a good overall mark. Um, there's the waiting uh, for, for a job application to come back in. There's, there's the waiting for the spouse who's not yet ready to hurry up and get in the car because we have an event we are supposed to be at. Uh, there's different types of waiting. There's the waiting for God to answer our prayers. Waiting is a part of the Christian life. And in this particular parable that we're going to read, it's a parable about waiting. How do followers of Jesus wait. What are we to be doing in between when he leaves this earth after he's been dead, buried and resurrected and when he comes again? How are we supposed to be acting in this particular time? In this particular discourse, we're in uh, Matthew 25, but really it's, it's a big uh, discourse of chapter 24 and chapter 25. And what Jesus is doing is that the Pharisees and scribes aren't around. He hasn't got anybody asking him difficult, uh, probing questions. What he has is he has his disciples. And they've gone up to this, this mount called the Mount of Olives. So this is often known as the Olivet Discourse. And he is preparing them. He is teaching them about the kingdom of God and what it, what it is to look like for them as followers of Jesus and how they are to wait, how they are to live their life in between when he ascends and goes back to heaven and when he comes again. What are followers of Jesus to look like in that time? And I encourage you to read the whole thing uh, from 24 all the way through to the end of 25 because there's different points he makes along the way. But for today, we're going to look at just the first portion of chapter 25 and this story around these bridesmaids and these grooms. And so it starts off and it says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like. So clearly he is about to tell a story. This is not something that's actually happened. He's not recounting a story that's actually happened. He's going to what is known as a parable. Now a parable is not something that has uh, is to be taken literally. There, there are, there's symbolism in there. There are things that kind of equate to something else, and that's what he's doing. He's saying the kingdom of God equates to this. This is what it is like. And additionally, we, we've got to be careful with parables to not allegorize them. What I mean by that is not everything in every parable is an allegory or symbolic of something. A parable is a story that is told to symbolize something, but that symbolism is really, really clear. 
And so we don't want to go into all the weeds and kind of think, okay, well, the oil represents this and the, ten, the number 10 represents that. What we want to do is go, okay, what is he clearly telling us? This is supposed to be a clear story of what the kingdom of God looks like, something that they would understand. And so this is what Jesus does. He tells a parable. It's this fictional story that is tangible, understandable, relatable with these overarching clear points. So he goes on to then tell this story, this parable. And he says that there will be these 10 virgins or bridesmaids. Virgins literally just means young women. So I I think a better translation is actually maids or bridesmaids. These are 10 women that are part of the bridal party, so to speak. And they are here and they've taken their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, if we're going to understand this parable, if we're going to understand uh, what it is that Jesus is telling this ancient audience, we need to go back to ancient Jewish culture and customs. Now, the reality of, of this is that there is not actually a lot written as to how weddings should have happened in ancient culture. We don't actually have a lot. What we do have is a lot of stories of how weddings happened. And so not every wedding is exactly the same. But there are overarching things that would happen in an ancient wedding. And much like a modern wedding, there there are really two parts. Part one of of an ancient wedding tends to be all of the relatives and close family are at the bride's home. That's where the first thing happens. The groom stays out. There's, there's, there's light refreshments, there's drinks, and they are awaiting for the groom to come. And this is what the bridesmaid's job is. This is what the maiden's job is. Their job is when that groom comes, they are to welcome the groom and introduce him and bring him into that first part of the wedding. And this is the more ceremonial stuff. This is the more formal stuff. So, so like a modern wedding, it's kind of like the ceremony, and then you're going to have the reception. And so they would go in, They'd meet, they'd mingle, they'd be there for a while, potentially a few hours. And then after that, they would then go on to part two. And so part two is now everybody's going to go to the groom's home. And so everybody would go, that the, the town would get lit up with torches, and there would be this massive procession all the way back to the groom's home. And so this is kind of what we're seeing in this story. Once the formalities are complete, everyone is to proceed to the groom's family home where the final formalities, the big banquet, the big reception is supposed to occur. Now, when they return, uh, there are different ancient texts that kind of show us different times and different ways things happen, but it would either happen this way. Either it would be all of the bride's family, friends, and the groom's friends would go, and then it would be the groom who would come with his parents, and that would be the final crescendo, or everybody would be there, and then it would just be the groom and the bride. But as you'll notice, one of the big differences between a modern wedding and an ancient wedding is who is the focus. In a modern wedding, who is the center of attention? It's the bride. It's the girl. We're waiting for her to walk down the aisle. That's the, the modern wedding. It has a lot more focus on a bride. But in an ancient culture, it was the groom. And so here is this story that Jesus is telling. But either way, they would go and end up at the groom's house, whether with the parents or with the bride, and then they would celebrate. And the last person in those doors has to be the groom and his parents or the groom and his bride. And once they are in, the doors get shut. That is it. That is the place of honor that has been recognized. And depending on the wealth of the man's side, 
uh, would determine how long it went for. So for some, if they're a little bit poorer, it might go for one day or two days. For others, it would be seven days. If you remember, the, the first miracle Jesus ever did was to turn water into wine at a wedding. And that's because most likely they were a poor family. They didn't have a lot. And so what Jesus does in that miracle is he extends that wedding celebration by providing wine. So how does the story continue? Well, verse 2, it says, Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took the flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Now, this is, this is different from some of the other parables. Jesus often has faithful and unfaithful. Uh, but here, it's the foolish and the wise. That is the, 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 the distinction between the two groups. And so what we have here is we have two, two distinct groups. There are five that are wise maids and five that are foolish. Now, in a marriage relationship, there is often the, the, the spender and the saver. Uh, often uh, there is uh, the night owl and the morning person. Uh, I know in, in my marriage, uh, that's certainly the case. Carly is a morning person. I am a night person. We're different. But also in a marriage, there is often someone who is far more patient and someone who's more like a timekeeper. And that's me. I'm, I'm the uptight British guy who likes, likes his time. And when you say seven o'clock, then seven o'clock it is. For Carly, seven o'clock is seven-ish. And we're different. We have different backgrounds, different cultures. God has wired us differently. Well, this is, in many ways, an ish culture. This is an ancient culture. They don't have watches. They don't have iPhones with, with clocks and, and alarms. They, they don't have those sorts of things. And so they're a very ish culture. There's not a, uh, there's not a, a, a tendency to, to expect uh, promptness and for people to be on time. And so what we have in this story is that the man, the groom, is delayed. He's taking his time. And so the, the maids, whose job is to go out and greet the groom, should be prepared for that because that's normative. That's their culture. And in many ways, that's actually what is to be expected. It is not unusual that a groom would be late. And again, you're seeing the shift here. In, in our modern culture, it's normally the bride who's a little bit late to make sure everybody's there and then she makes the grand entrance. Well, it's exactly the same in an ancient culture. It's just the groom. And in fact, for a groom, what would often happen is that the, the bride's family would have given him a whole lot of gifts. And so it's expected to be delayed because what the delay says is that that family has been extremely generous. He's opened those gifts. There've been so many gifts or there've been such great gifts that it's taken him a long time. So most often a groom will be quite late. It's very common in their culture. But here we have five foolish maids who have not prepared for the delay. And then it says, but at midnight there was this cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Right, so we're not really sure, is this the sort of the first entrance to the bride's home when they're meant to meet him? Or is it the last one when they're supposed to have gone ahead of him when they're on their way back to the groom's house and then they're supposed to come out? We don't really know. I, I kind of see it as a bit of an overlap here that Jesus is just making an overall general point. That they're not prepared. And at midnight literally means late at night. It doesn't, it's not a literal midnight. It means a general, he's very late, it's very dark, some late hour, it's not definitive, but he is late. And verse 7 says, Then all those bridesmaids rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, 
Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Now this might seem harsh. Why don't they just share their, their oil? Uh, essentially what's happened here is they've lit the lamps, they're preparing for them, it's going to be late, they've fallen asleep, that's fine. Uh, what, why stay up and expend your energy when you're going to be dancing and partying all night at the wedding? So that would be very, very common. But five have brought extra oil for when that goes out and they need to put more in. And they want to make sure that, hey, when we get to the other side, when we get to the, the reverse end, when we get to part two of the wedding, when we get to the reception, we need to make sure we've got enough oil so that they're lit up and it's bright and it's beautiful. So they're not actually trying to be difficult. They're not trying to be harsh. They're trying to say, hey, listen, our job, our role here as bridesmaids is to make sure that when we get to the other side and we get to part two, that that thing is lit and ready. And if we are to share our extra oil, which we brought because we're prepared and give it to you, there's a chance that grand entrance might not occur in the way that it should. And so they say no, and they say, you go and get some more oil. Again, because of the customs and cultures, often what would happen is businesses in those days would stay open later at night on the day of a wedding. So they they would know that, okay, we need to have extra oil because heaps of people in the streets are going to be lighting their lamps and and putting on the big show. And so they would stay open a little bit late. And so these these ladies then have to go and get more oil. So they're not trying to be crude. They're not trying to be rude. They're trying to take the responsibility. This is our job to make sure this happens. And then verse 10, it goes on. It says, and while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. The door is shut. So this groom is delayed. Everybody's waiting. It's dark. The the roles of the maidens are clear. They know what they're supposed to do, but five are ready and five are not. And as they go down and they go to this grand banquet, only five make it in. And again, that door is closed and the other five are not in. And so 11 says, After, afterward, the other bridesmaids came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said to them, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. The groom arrives last. They, they shut the door. And the reason why they do that is it, it's kind of twofold. It's, it's the place of honor. It's that last moment is like they are to be the shining light. They are supposed to be the grandeur of the entire thing. So that's their big moment. And so for someone else to come in after that would dishonor them. But also it's to keep others out. Those who might be intruders. Who, those who might come in and, you know, their party crashes. And so we see at the end of this story that five are inside enjoying the celebration, five are outside. And then Jesus says to his disciples, now he's come out of the parable and he's saying to his disciples, watch therefore. Hey, this is the point of the parable. Here's what I want to get to you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So what does this teach us? Well, I just want to give you three things that I think would be helpful for us. And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you would claim to be one. I think this is really important for you to think about because he is talking primarily to disciples, those who profess to follow him. But if you're not, I also want to encourage you, think about these things, consider these things because these are what the Bible says are true. So let me give you three things. Number one, what does it teach us? Well, first of all, it teaches us that we are called to be prepared. That's the point of the story. Now, if you, if you read the Olivet Discourse and you'd read sometimes he is saying, hey, he comes like a thief in the night. 
Be ready tomorrow. Be ready now. Be ready in any second, any moment Jesus can return. So there's this call of like, be ready right now. And then in this story, it's like, hey, but be prepared because he may delay. We don't know when he's coming. He might come now. He might come tonight. He might come tomorrow. He might not come for another thousand years. And how you view things and how you see things determines how you live. So, for example, if I am to know that Jesus was to return in a week, I'm probably going to do everything I can to be out telling every single person I know about Jesus. I'm probably not going to spend as much time at home with my family, not because I don't love them, but because I know where they're at with the Lord. And so I want to evangelize and be with people as much as I can. But if Jesus isn't coming back for another, say, 50 years, then I'm probably going to lean into the home because I really want to make sure my kids and my, my, my wife uh, are following the Lord and that we're going good and the health is there. Um, the, the difference between how we wait in those two moments in that, in that time is different depending on when God returns. But the, the point of these, these parables, one after the other, is to say, we don't know. In other words, you've got to live with the tension. Make sure you know who you are following right now. Who is your Lord? Who is your Savior? Who is your God? Are you right with Jesus? If you were to meet your maker tomorrow, are you prepared to meet him? And what if he doesn't come back for a long time? Now, I don't know if you've picked up on this, but COVID has obviously uh, made uh, an awareness again to the West of the end times. Uh, We kind of go in ebbs and flows with the end times. And so there's a lot of people going, okay, it's the end times. Why? Because there's rumors of wars, there's plagues, pandemics. Um, There's lots of things in the Bible that say, hey, this is kind of the end times. But what if you were to ask someone who's lived in the Middle East for the past 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years? What would they say? What if you were to go back three, four hundred years and go to somewhere else in the world and ask them? You see, often how we view the end times is how we're feeling in our particular context. But here's what the Bible is clear about. The end times began when Jesus leaves. So he is preparing them for the end times. And he's about to go up to heaven and ascend and leave them. And this time from all the way up until now has been the end times. This is the end of the age. We live in that right here, right now. This is the end of the age. How long is it going to be? Well, uh, for us, it feels like forever. For God, it feels like just blinks of, of, of moments and time. So we don't know. Jesus is clear about that. Paul says that Jesus is coming home soon, and soon's been quite a while. Uh, So we don't really know. We can't control it. Here's what we can control. Where are we with God? Are we prepared? And this is the call in this story, this parable. Hey, disciples, you guys listening around me, be ready. Be prepared. Number two. As Christians, we're not only called to be prepared, we're called to persevere. Jesus is telling this parable to his professing would-be followers of him, right? These are men who are going to face trials and tribulations. And think about the story. When, when in the story do we, do we see the difference between the two groups of women? It's at the point of crisis. It's in that moment of crux, that really crucial moment when they're supposed to shine their lights. 
And in that moment, five are ready to shine and five are not ready. Before this, we don't really see any difference between them. They're all there. They've all helped prepare uh, the bride's home and the festivities. Uh, stuff is ready to go. The only thing that's left to go is to shine, to, to light their torches. But they're not prepared. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. It's one thing to say you have faith. It is another thing to actually live by faith, to live out your faith, to actually shine the light when the time comes, when the moment comes. And if there has been a moment, it has been the past couple of years. With a worldwide pandemic, this is shining a light in many ways onto the Christian church, onto the followers of Jesus and going, let's see what's really there. Are you following daily with Jesus? Where are you at in your faith? Can I ask you that question? Church, Christian, where are you at with your faith with Jesus? Are you up and down? Are you in? Are you out? This is the call to get in and get on with our faith, to live as followers of Jesus. And the Bible is clear to be a follower of Jesus is not just simply believing a few cognitive, intellectual tenets of the faith. It is to practice, to walk, to live by faith. And the Bible is also clear that to be a follower of Jesus isn't easy. To, to live out our faith is not easy. We're called to sacrificial community. Hard. We're called to forgive. Hard. We're called to be generous with our money and our possessions. Hard. We're called to take up our cross and die to ourselves, to lay our lives down so that we can follow the kingdom and the way of our maker, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But here's also what the Bible is teaching, and we see it here in this passage, that the, 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 the journey, that the hardness, the, the, the struggle that we may have to live out our faith is worth it because we get to be in on the banquet. We get to be in on the party. We get to be with the groom. We get to celebrate and rejoice. And this is the mindset that the followers of Jesus had to have in their day and we need it in our day. We need an eternal that day mindset. We're not just looking at this moment. We're not just looking at tomorrow. We're looking at that moment when we will face our maker. And for those of us who have persevering faith, we will see him and we will rejoice that we are with him for the door will be open, not shut. Church, we don't live for this moment. We live in this moment because there's no other moment we can live in, but we live in this moment in the light of eternity. And we reverse engineer our lives and go, that's what we're living for. We're not living for this world. We're living for another world. And it's greater and it's better. And you get to be invited to come and be a part of that. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, this is the invitation to you. Come, repent of your sin of being your own God and let God become your God, your Lord, your Savior. Turn to him and believe, trust in him. Walk with him, learn to love him, learn to obey him, learn his ways and enjoy him. And I can tell you, I've been a Christian for about 23 years and it is the best life I've ever lived. And it gets better and it gets better and it gets better. It is a joy-filled life. And number three, Christians are not only called to be prepared, we're not only called to persevere, we are called to pursue. 
what is said to the foolish maidens upon their attempt to enter. It's not that you're too late. Sorry, it, you're late. That's not it. it. It's this in verse 12. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. The, the door being shut is symbolizing that there is no relationship here. The guest list is complete. And at first reading, I mean, this seems really, really hard. You don't know them? Surely you know them. They're the bridesmaids. You know them. But think about it. Did they know him? Because it seems that five knew him and expected him to be delayed. Five knew him intimately, understood. We know him. He will be late. And we are prepared for that. Whereas five did not know him. And now he turns around and goes, and nor do I know you. They did not know him. And the groom says, I don't know you. And so not only does this parable highlight that certain things cannot be attained at the last minute, I think it's also showing us that we can't borrow somebody else's faith. We cannot obtain certain things in the kingdom of God from our parents, our context, our church upbringing. So if you're here and you've been a Christian for a little while and maybe you're a little bit younger and your parents are Christians, you can't actually borrow their faith. You need to look at your parents' faith, learn from it, but you need to have your own faith. You need to take personal responsibility for your walk with the Lord. This is why, this is why the Apostle Paul says to, to check that your election is sure. He's saying, check where you are with God. That's your thing. And we're not supposed to be looking at everybody else and seeing where their relationship with God is. We're supposed to be asking, well, where am I with God? How's my heart? How am I going with forgiveness? How am I going with generosity? How am I going? Not, I'll often say to people, like, the Bible is not a set of binoculars that we're supposed to be looking through and seeing everybody else. It, it's a mirror. It tells me, it reads me as I read it. And so Jesus says, I don't know you. And this idea of knowing in Hebrew culture, is, again, it's not an intellectual cognitive thing. It's an intimacy thing. So very, right in the beginning of the Bible, it says that Adam knew Eve and she conceived in Cain. Knowing in a Hebrew context, in a Hebrew language, it's an intimate thing. There's a relationship here. It's not just, I know your name. Oh, your name's Bob. It's like, no, no, I know you. And so these people, these women, don't know the groom. And the groom says, I don't know you. And this is, this is a clear call to make sure that we are listening to the shepherd's voice. For he knows that whose are his, and we are to know him. We are to pursue Jesus these maidens are supposed to have known who the groom is and they do not know him. And therefore, when the time comes, he says, nor do I know you. And you miss out on coming to the great banquet. The end of time with God forever. And this is what it means to follow Jesus. It means we pursue him, that we love him, that we seek to learn about him, that we obey him, that we worship him that we sing to him, that we pray to him, that we serve him, and we wait. Actively wait. Being prepared for the day that he comes and brings us home. And so I want to finish just by asking you, church, how are you going with your waiting? In this time that we're in,
where, where are you at in your heart with Jesus? Have you wandered? Have you drifted? Have you disconnected in some way? What if today, before you run off from church online, what if today at the end of this, you just pause for a moment and get right with Jesus? Just, just center your heart on him and turn back to him again and commit 2022 to be a year that you're going to know God. And if you're with us and you're not a Christian, this is a great opportunity for you to think and just ponder and reflect and go, do I believe in him? Do I want Yahweh? Do I want this, this Christian Christ man to, to be my Lord and my Savior? And I just want to encourage you, consider it. Take the time to, to reflect on the story of the Bible and to read who he is. Because when I explored the Jesus of the Bible, I found a Jesus who is worthy of my praise, worthy of my trust, worthy of my surrender and obedience to him. I can trust him and follow him because he is the only person who has ever died for me so that I can be made right with God. And he's the only person who rose again to new life for me so I can walk with that new life and learn about God and one day be in a great banquet with him. Nothing else in this world has ever compared to the person and work of Jesus. And so if you're not a Christian, I would love for you to consider exploring him with us. Come be a part of our community of faith and and journey with us. You're free to explore here. And church, I want to pray that we would be people who would learn to enjoy God and to know God and to walk with God as we wait patiently for him to return. How about we pray? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.